This is a HeadGum Podcast. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Could I catfish someone as a Matt Gorley? You might be able to. Maybe. You'd have to drop it a little bit more, I think. Maybe a little bit more, I think. Hi, I'm Matt Gourley. I was there too. Is this well, good? You got, your voice got higher. <laughs> the film was something. I'm Aliens. Ke- I'm Kevin Porter. <laughs> hey, guys. <laughs> this is like our vocal warm-up. is like we just do impressions of each other. Just roast each other. Welcome to Inside Voices. I'm your host, Kevin T. Porter. My guest today is Matt Gorley. So a little background, Matt Gorley is a performer. He's an actor, a comedian, even a musician and singer from time to time. And of course, a podcaster. Why else would he be on this show? There's a lot of words that come to mind when I want to describe Matt. And I do want to describe him all of the time. He's handsome, effortlessly warm and sincere. And when it comes to podcasts, he is prolific. With nine to his name that we know of, his shows include Super Ego, Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend, I Was There Too, Pistol Shrimps Radio, and Voorhees We Trust, Admires We Trust, The Complete Man, and James Bonding. This is a person who should be pretty familiar with the sound of his own voice. So let's find out what it sounds like to him. I can only tell you what people have told me. Okay, and, I, and then whether you agree with it or not? I guess, because I never had any awareness of my own voice until I started podcasting. And then people would tell me they find it soothing in some sense. Um, I don't know if that's true, but I know that I also play a little bit of music in a band and I don't like singing because my frequency of my voice is so mid-range that it I can't, I don't have the strength or the skill to pop it out of that range. So I feel like it just muddies into the mix. I have a muddy, but not altogether unpleasant voice. <laughs> that's a long episode title on iTunes it, slash Apple podcast. That, oh wait, that's the title? That's the title. Muddy, not unpleasant voice. Mu- we just How about muddy. muddy, but pleasant? Muddy, but pleasant. Pleasantly muddy? Yeah. Matt Fog- Gorley has a- m- Foggy. Fog. Oh, well, like Mel Torme was the velvet fog. That's sure. what they called him. So maybe I'm the velour mist. Oh, Matt Gorley has a velour mist of a voice. <laughs> when I was thinking about your voice, I thought you have a humble voice. Like, like literally the physical tone of it. Yeah. The timbre of it is kind of like meek in a good way. Yeah. Unassuming, gentle. I can't imagine you shouting, even though you do, you have shouted in your life. I can't imagine you being like flying off the handle with anything. It's weird because I had so much like theater school that all they teach you to do is project. And I feel like this is my conversational voice. But if I'm on stage, I'm doing this kind of thing where it's a little bit more crisp and that just feels 
awful to do. <laughs> I don't like it at all. But even that, that doesn't sound that like shrill or cutting. No, you I don't. I, mean? I don't like raising my voice. I know. I can tell. <laughs> I can tell. What a nice man. <laughs> <laughs> How? What was your voice like when you were a kid? How'd you start using your voice? Oh, I was definitely into voices and that sort of thing. And in fact, the one of my podcasts, Super Ego, was really born in separate states as Jeremy and I as kids who never had any idea of each other were both doing the kind of thing where you put a cassette in a portable cassette recorder and just record improvised like news broadcasts. So I would do, and I, God, I remember going to the children's museum when I was a kid and my dad took me and I had just had this crazy face painting done to me by a face painter. And then they had this thing that was like a, a live broadcast, news broadcast to tape. And so they would go from like the anchor to the sports guy to the weatherman and all the kids got to play a part. And I was the weatherman. And because I had this painted face, I remember going, hello, I'm witch Dr. George. Dr. George Fishbeck was this big weatherman. And my dad to this day, I think is the funniest thing I've ever done and has never listens to a podcast and still <laughs> remembers like, remember when you were witch Dr. George? And I'm sure I did a voice for that. So I love doing voices definitely yeah yeah so you made like proto podcasts on these little tape recorders yeah without knowing yeah definitely that was the track for you do you remember mastering any impressions when you were a kid i yeah i remember going over to my neighbors and the mother of my two friends would be like how do you know who Jimmy Cagney is? And it was because I was watching Warner Brothers cartoons. So I didn't know who Jimmy Cagney was. I was just doing impressions of Bugs Bunny doing impressions mm -hmm. of like Cary Grant and the Marx Brothers and especially like Edward G. Robinson. I like, listen up, she, meow, meow. Mm -hmm. And she'd be like, how do you know who that is? And I'd go, I don't. <laughs> Early on, I developed a facial impression of Robert De Niro, but I could never do his voice. And then that took off like wildfire in my extended family. Where <laughs> like I, it went viral. I'm telling you the, because the I was a very reserved kid when it came to family functions. And then this happened in my, like my step family and they are just like, who's this boy, mm -hmm. you know? And that was in a bit of an awakening for me. I think. Yeah. The, just the ability that you could do it with facial expressions, yeah. vocal impressions. Yeah. You could have a certain amount of power over the people related to you. I think so. <laughs> Something I've been curious about and has become like a theme in some of the episodes we've been doing. I'm always curious as to like the gap between the way a person thinks they sound versus what they actually sound like you're talking about singing or singing just voice, yeah. but, but i'm also curious about like speaking voice wise if you talking out loud right now if there's still a gap between what you think you sound like and then when you hear it recorded back not as much anymore i don't really have a problem with my speaking voice i think and i've gotten way better about my singing i've allowed myself to just be flawed and go for it but i didn't really hear my voice that much when i was performing until podcasting but i was always doing super ego from like 2006 to guess like whenever I started the next podcast, 2010 or 11, and I was always doing character voices. So they would come back to me as characters. And then by the time I heard myself, I think I was just so used to it. So it is what it is. I, I get that I'm just a muddy voiced guy. You know? <laughs> it's not mud. Muddy is such I, a... Hey, mud's not bad. I mean, a mud bath. You know, yeah, it's a okay. warm, milky bath. Mud, great movie with McConaughey <laughs> a couple years ago. Oh, yeah, sure. Mud bath's great. Yeah, I know. Every yeah. Everyone I've asked to describe their voice, it always goes to a negative place. I shouldn't then. I don't mean to do that because... I'm not scolding you. I'm just yeah. saying, I think of of course it's our instinct to yeah. downplay it or be deprecating us not to come off as cocky or something. I'll let me put it bluntly. I feel negative about my singing voice. I don't feel negative about my speaking podcasting voice. I don't feel 
overly positive, like, wow, this guy, the golden throated Gourley's at it <laughs> again. Guy to listen to it doesn't make me cringe like some people I think do. And I, I am curious about that. I've never had that where it makes me cringe. You're not like the actor who says, I can't even watch my own stuff. No. Especially because you have to edit so much of your own stuff too. Yeah, so think, you don't have that luxury. Yeah, I think that's part of it too. I just like by necessity had to, it couldn't be a factor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because by the I mean, how how many hours of your own voice have you listened to recorded at this point in your life? Grotesque amount. Like maybe is it tens of thousands or is it just thousands, do you think? <sighs> I have no idea. Putting it all together, oh, even with like thousands. the music and stuff. Yeah. yeah. So how does one get to be in the unenviable position of having to listen to themselves for thousands of hours? Well, one way is by starting early, which is what Matt did. His first show, Super Ego, an improvised sketch comedy show, began all the way back in 2006, which for context was back when podcasts were something you listened to on your iPod. People start their shows for a number of reasons, but for Matt and his collaborator, Jeremy Carter, Superego was a creative solution for a problem of efficiency. Jeremy Carter and I had done a series of video shorts for Channel 101, which was this, like, you'd present a five-minute television pilot, basically a show you've created. They were often spoofs of TV shows or original or whatever. And if the audience liked it, you got voted back for the next month and had to do the next episode. And we were getting voted back. And it was typical problem I always face where I overdo the production value and like really go full force at it. And we couldn't sustain it. So we killed the characters and ended the show, but knew we still wanted to do some comedy together. And right around this time, I was starting to listen to podcasts. And I, I remember going out for a beer with him in Seal Beach at like O'Malley's Pub and saying, you got to check out podcasts, man. man. This is the future, man. And we could do all the things we wanted to do, but with no visual production value. And what we didn't even know, but what it would end up happening is in Superego, because it was all kind of character comedy, world-based improv, but heavily produced, is that the listeners started feeding in the visuals themselves and kind of became a part of it. That's what we've been told. And, and not to make it too self-important, because we had no sense of intending that we just knew we wanted to do improvised comedy that I could edit down and tighten up. And that was a cheap and easy way to do it. <laughs> Turns out it would be a lot more work as I got way more into it, but well, I, cut to 16 years later. Yeah. I'm still doing it. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but it was funny that it started as a shortcut to effort Yeah, and became significantly much more so. Yeah. But it would have been still way more or less than if we were to continue to do the visual thing and anything I've ever done really as a performer has now in some way come out of super ego. Yeah. So many opportunities have come out of it. So I'm incredibly grateful and it's, we still really enjoy doing it. We take long breaks and I think that's the key, but you're on a Larry David schedule with it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Cause also it's too. like we, we began doing it before you ever had rules in podcasting. And now there are these pseudo rules in podcasting of format and all that. And so I feel like we're grandfathered in and we don't have to pay attention to that. Not that I would with anything else, because I hate those things. You mean like on an economic level or just like on an artistic all level? All of it. But they're like, there seems to be when you're forming a podcast now of, of well, it's got to be this length and it's got to have this and that and this, and this theme song has to be this way, or it, it needs to have a theme song or it doesn't. And it's all total horseshit. If there's still a medium left where you don't have to follow those rules like TV does, it's podcasting. And I am seeing now, at least in the in the bigger companies, that that is completely forgotten. People are entrenched in what it should be and copying the last thing already. 
Right, because at the time you guys launched, you probably didn't have analogs of like, well, we should probably do it like blah, blah, blah. No, and especially for not for a like narrative fictional podcast. They were all chat podcasts back then. Yeah, who was your competition back then? I mean, it sounds like you didn't know of any not, fiction, none that I knew scripted, of. sketch no. podcasts. None that I knew of. You were a freaking trailblazer, Matt Gorley. Uh, well, it was, <laughs> that's not... True. I mean, I, to a degree, though. But we just took the audio format and had done, you know, what I think Spinal Tap was already doing and the Guffman movie, you know. Right. Waiting for Guffman. And yeah, I mean, it, we weren't a trailblazer in that sense. We just got to this medium first, I think. But by ripping off people in one medium and just putting it in another, still a trailblazer. Yeah. We weren't consciously ripping them <laughs> off. We were just using a proven format. Yeah, but what a special <laughs> thing. I really... And I think about this a lot because I've been doing this for about six years now. And the thing I've regretted about getting into it, what I thought at the time was so late, uh, which now I don't even know what you would call it getting into it now. I bet you in three years, you would call it getting in early. Right. <laughs> which maybe. is scary. That's it's what's like so funny. I keep thinking like how many more zombie movies can be made yeah. and they keep making them. Yeah. There's, yeah. Some, there's some new way to do it. But at the time when I got into it, I kind of regretted not having a class of people I came up with because I had my co-host at the time. And so there was like a bond and kinship we felt with that. And then we like engendered a sort of community through like repeat guests and this sort of person that would come on the show over and over again. But there wasn't like a, it feels like a true, like in a transcendent from work way, it seems like you are close friends and in each other's weddings and a part of your personal lives to a large degree. And it's like, that's like a really special thing to share for over a decade. Yeah, it it has been overall a huge blessing. I'm incredibly grateful for it. We had our times where like I think it's like a rock band where we're like there was a moment where I didn't I think we almost called it off Mm -hmm. and um, said rather than like overreact let's just take a break and then it all worked itself out and now I feel like we're all past that stuff and just really enjoying each other's company and Mm -hmm. not that we ever had any like we were never fighting or anything like that it just like fatigue I think and which think about how much more so that would be the case if it was like a weekly 52 episodes it would be impossible show and it would be me who would be the problem because I just (laughs) wouldn't be able to do it I I just I get stressed if I feel like my life is taken over by something and I, I think that I owe a great deal of gratitude to the other guys who understand that I do most of the work so they're always like when you're ready for the most part. I mean, we definitely have a dialogue about it, but they've been so good about just kind of being there when we all feel like it's time to go. And we all take each other's temperature, but it's just always worked out nicely in that sense. No one's ever gone like tapping their watch going, when are we going to get another episode out? Because usually I'm the hardest on, on myself to, about it. Yeah, uh, To put out on a regular basis. Yeah, or just to if we're going to do it, we're going to do it, I guess. And then that's why I know like, oh, we're not going to do it right now. So I, uh, let's take a decent break. I do want to play a clip from an episode of your podcast, okay. Super Ego, from 2006. Oh, no. Oh, see, this is going to be tough. This I will cringe because I don't know that the season one is that funny. And I know, actually know some of it's not funny. Well, this is from a best of compilation. So this is something you yourself said. This is the best <laughs> oh, man. of what is we have got gotcha podcasting? <laughs> In a way. What is it? Uh, so let's take a listen to that now. 
Sunday at the Anaheim Convention Center. You mean the one this Sunday at the Convention Center in Anaheim? That's the one I'm talking about. Holy crap! It's the RV and Truck Expo. You better get ready to get ready. You won't believe your face holes. With booth vendors by... Marley Matlin. John Wilkes Booth Vendors. And the ultimate fat kid dancers. They're back. They're fatter than ever. Featuring sexual experiences by Guava. <laughs> With musical performances by... Harvey Jackman and the Fuck Four Trio. Cloris Leachman's Aftertaste. And Paul Sausage. I saw them last summer at the Orange County Fair. No shit. They opened for Jaws of Clay. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And the 1980s American Panamanian Conflict Reenactors Society. With special guest Manuel Noriega. Because he's going to be there. This Sunday at the Anaheim RV and Truck Expo. You know who else is going to be there? Tell me. Leif Garrett. Crocodile Dundee lookalike Mr. T. And... <laughs> No, he doesn't. With guest celebrity appearances by... The flesh that Richard Pryor burnt off himself. And the flesh that Michael Jackson burnt off himself. Combine into one to perform as... Richard Jackson, Michael Pryor, a knight of discovery. Oh, my God. A brisk two-minute... Oh, you had to start with that one? Okay, this is... Hold on. This is 14 years ago, and I feel like there's some comedic vernacular, and then that has become very tired, and obviously some choices, too. Like what? I mean, if you were to say, and if I wasn't to make a value judgment on anything, what what, what, well, what, some of that, what sticks out to you? Richard Pryor flesh stuff? Well... What, what, I don't know. Is that offensive? It's not. I it's truly just, don't know. It's just not something I would find funny today. Yeah. I also remember specifically on this one, I don't know how I remember this. Jeremy and I had a, shared a six pack of ciders. <laughs> <laughs> the coolest drink you could have said. <laughs> but there are some things in there that even though they may be questionable in terms of tone, like Ultimate Fat Kid Dancers is something that stayed with us to the point where we had just doing shows in Portland. And at the airport, we were parsing out ultimate fat kid dancers like there yeah. there are other fat kid dancers but there has never been a better or more ultimate group of fat kid dancers <laughs> than this and they may come and go individually yes. but as a group you will never find a better group of fat kid dancers and sexual experiences by guava i think that holds up i think that i think opening up for jars of clay holds up oh, i That's knew you'd nice like that for me yeah <laughs> someone who would understand yeah. that god i hear that now and i think it should be 20 percent of what it is 20 percent in length you know it's funny the editor in me and and just to think back but i also am filled with tremendous nostalgia as as just questionable as some of that content may be man that was a good time heady times yeah. It's weird to think back that podcasting can already be nostalgic, but it was 14 years ago. 14 years is nostalgia worthy. We're already doing 10 year retrospectives on like the end of Breaking Bad or whatever. I know. And I, this was a point where I was single, living 50 feet from the water at the beach in this little cabin. And Jeremy would come over and we would record this at like 1 p.m., just standing in my bedroom at Mike's or sitting. And it was. And we knew no one was listening. So that's why we're just not censoring ourselves in any way. So it really was just something you guys were making for yourselves and for each other. Yeah, we knew we had like, we. I think we knew of three or four people that were listening. The audience Friends. was a true afterthought in it the was. equation. And that was the nice thing is that by the time we did gain a following, we were stuck doing what we were most naturally doing because it had some appeal to people. So it gave us the confidence to sort of do the, keep doing the stupid things that otherwise I think 
if we knew someone was listening, we would have probably censored ourselves more. I don't mean content-wise censoring but what we But just indulgence. Say. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah, and just absurdity. Like, not, not to put too much importance on it, but there wasn't a ton of that kind of just uh, absurd, like, um, stream of consciousness stuff. Mm-hmm. That was something we w- had been doing together for years in the backseat of cars when driving our wives and my girlfriend crazy, you know? But we loved it. It was sort of therapeutic for us in a way, and still is. Super Ego would evolve into a show that welcomed regular guests and even brought in permanent group members like Mark McConville and Paul F. Tompkins. But it started from a joy shared purely between two guys, Matt and Jeremy fully amusing themselves and each other. It didn't matter who listened, it mattered that it was made. It was of no consequence to either of them that when they started, it was small, real small, like maybe three-digit listenership small, although Matt has an even lower estimate than that. Nothing for years. For years. So like 2006 to 2000 what? Well, we this was 17 episodes the first season and we'd do one a month. And we had some close friends listening, but it just wasn't a thing. But we were having a blast. And I liked having a body of work. Mm-hmm. I've always liked like amassing work for whatever reason. I don't know why. And then we took a long break. And then we weren't even sure we were going to do anymore. And Jeremy had long ago been on a sketch group with Jason Sudeikis and he nailed him to do a recording. I wasn't even there. They recorded it on a laptop mic in a car and Joe Latrulio was there and they just did a three-person sketch and it's on there. And we thought, oh, well, this is something we'll... It was just a lot of like dick humor and stuff. Like actually we do that sometimes, but it's not it's not our comfort zone. And it, it, it never... Because we always all of us sort of came out of comedy sports where you're supposed to be really clean, which was kind of silly in a, in a performer sense, but at the same time taught us restraint and when to know when to go for that kind of thing. You wouldn't have known it from that last sketch. But, <laughs> um, that was something that kind of spurred us. And then we kind of started creating more characters and brought Mark in full time. And we're really having fun and having a lot more guests. And that was really fun. And then it kind of slowly started getting some listeners. We were getting some feedback. And it wasn't until the end of season two when we heard that Paul F. Tompkins started listening. I found out about it on Twitter and so sheepishly asked him to come record with us. And he just clicked like you couldn't believe. And we had him back so many times. And then he brought all our listeners. Like whatever, however we tipped into getting turned into a bigger podcast was due to him. I had no idea that he started as a listener. Yeah. I didn't know that part of the origin. Uh-huh. Yeah. Wow. I'm trying to think of what an equivalent would be in any other medium. And we knew him as a performer. Of course. I had gone to see him probably 10 years prior and had been a fan and really liked him. And so it was a dream come true for us. So the, the only impetus to continue now is just for the fun of it. And yeah, and that still turns out as the best reason to do anything. I don't say that in a like cheesy way. It really is for super ego. At least when the four of us still get together and record, we just really laugh a lot and it feels really good and fun. Sometimes it's hard to edit because sometimes it's longer than I want to cut down and stuff, but man, it is still just really fun. And we just did a few live shows and it's, it's great. Something nice about the clip we just listened to as well as you can hear some muffled Background laughter, yeah. which is still in the bones of the show yeah. to this day. Yes. And, and just like right. that spirit and that idea of like, even though it feels different now, it's like a different pace and a different yeah. tone or different content in some ways, like the spirit of that still exists yeah. in it now. Jeremy Carter 
and the other guys, of course, too, but just because Jeremy and I started it, to this day, makes me laugh no less, if not more, than he ever did. That guy is from another planet. He brings something to the table that I've just never seen in anybody else bring. And it's often like, whenever you hear on Superego, there's also a physical component that you're not seeing, that he embodies these things. And it's, it is a joy to watch. It, yeah. give, it, it adds years into my life. And all the guys, they say shit that... Like, you know, laughter is the best medicine and all that crap, whatever. But there is something where I walk away from those feeling like I've just exercised or something. It's Yeah, yeah it's so fun. It sounds transcendent. Yeah. Let's take a break from Matt Gorley's muddy voice and we'll be right back with more Inside Voices. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm -mm -mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome back to Inside Voices. Now, Matt and I, in addition to working in the same industry, also have the commonality of proximity. We're both residents of Pasadena, California, Pasadena Podcast Pals, if you will. And when we found that out about each other, we were so thrilled. It feels like people like us don't often live in places like this. For those that don't live in Los Angeles, each of the neighborhoods of LA has its own distinct character. The chilled beach vibes of Santa Monica, the working class actor energy of North Hollywood. In Pasadena, nestled up against the San Gabriel Mountains, there's great natural beauty, a lot of college students, a lot of families, a significant amount of people with no connection to the larger entertainment industry. And to me, it makes all the sense in the world that a cozy man like Matt Gorley would live here. I, f I have this vision of you right now. We're recording in your home studio right now. And I have this vision of you like creating all this stuff and all these shows and then like throwing it at a distance from your home and being like, here yeah, it is, enjoy exactly it. it. Here it is, enjoy it. And then when people come knocking, you're like, come on in. Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah, where are we going? <laughs> what are we fair. doing? But I don't see you leaving a lot and going, do you know what I mean? It's true. And you have described yourself to me as like a homebody in a yeah. lot of ways. Yeah, I think that's true. I I, I get a fair amount of social anxiety, especially lately. I, and I don't know why that's, I've always had it, but there's something more about now being married and really, I'm really fulfilled by my home life. So it makes it all the more difficult to leave. And it somehow makes the other stuff more anxiety inducing. I don't mean to say like, I can't go out or go to parties. It's just sometimes it's work. And the pop you get is less than it is 
staying home with your favorite person oh, in the world. Yeah, very true. In a and house that you built. Yeah. Like, it feels very logical to me. But I don't know if it's 100% healthy sometimes. So I need to be shaken out of my comfort zone sometimes. And it, it can be tough because I also can't network and I hate networking. And, and yet this is a job where you meet new people constantly. And yeah. have to create like sometimes, and sometimes it's like false. Sometimes it's really authentic, but you have to create intimacy really quickly with people. Yeah. And that's why I was there too, gave me anxiety. This type of thing, like you coming over is my favorite type of thing to do. Cause I, I already know you. you. Let me in. Yeah. I already know you. But we're not like best friends. We don't know each other super intimately, but I feel like comfortable talking to you. And this is the ideal version of it. And the fact that you can do a certain amount of this work in this way is heaven. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? And then like, I'm going to put it out and then you'll see it. You'll get tagged on it. You'll retweet it. And you'll be like, hey, everybody listen. And then that's like, wow. Yeah. I did my part. I know. And that's what you needed to do. But it feels like it, (laughs) like looking at the other things that you've done, it feels like that sort of ethic of optimizing show for relationship, not that it comes at the compromise of of the show, but that it feels like that's what James Bonding is to a degree. It feels like that's what Voorhees and Myers We Trust is, where it's like, those are your relationships with Myra and Russ. Not the totality of it. Right. But it's like- that's what you're doing instead of a poker night. That's what you're doing instead of, yes. you know, going to the beach or something. Yeah. And especially, uh, that is definitely true with those two. And especially like with Rust and I, have actually our friendship began and grew on that podcast. We knew each other, but we didn't really know each other and hadn't really hung out. And that podcast documents a friendship in the making, which was really special. And then my podcast with Mark McConville, Pistol Shrimps Radio, and maybe one to be continued after that coming soon, hopefully, has been, I don't even think of it as a podcast. I think of it as a f- hanging out with one of my best friends. I look forward to it as as you would hanging it. Like, I get to see my buddy tonight, you know? Yeah. And and that's how I feel about all of them, but in Superego especially too. But there's something that about that one particular that the whole conceit of it is that it's not supposed to be a good podcast. So there's no pressure about it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But it feels like there's definitely worse ways to spend your time. I am so happy to do it. Yeah. yeah. It's still an act of creativity. Yeah. I think this is, at least for you and what you want to do, this is the best case scenario. I, I can't think of a better one realistically. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like Matt wants to live at the intersection where personal and professional delights are indistinguishable from one another. His favorite shows are the ones that are pretenses for hanging with friends. I'm familiar with this feeling, by the way, because I share it. But I think for me, weirdly enough, it can sometimes muddle the way I think about my career. It's messy to think about work when doing it well means laughing with a person you love. How does that even work? So, much like Carrie Bradshaw, I couldn't help but wonder what Matt's relationship is to ambition. I have 100% ambition on my own creative pursuits and zero in terms of furthering a career, if that makes sense. I'm almost negative ambition for that because I fear it. Break that down. I don't know how. (laughs) I don't fully understand it myself. Do you mean you have like 100% ambition for... Like you did the wainscoting in your own house. And yeah. this office of yours is one of the most gorgeous offices I've seen. And and you designed it and you 
you know, decorated it to the nth degree. D- is that what you're talking about? Yeah, but it doesn't, it's not restricted to that. It may mean like an episode of Superego. Like I'm doing it a hundred percent. Yeah, but it's all the same thing. It for, sounds yeah, like. Yeah, for creative fulfillment and wanting to do the best I can and enjoying it or writing a song or drawing something or whatever. I've been lucky enough that some of that translates to work, but I don't do it for that reason and when I find that I have to do things for that reason, I don't think I'm very good at it. What do you think being with Amanda and ending up with her did in terms of your relationship to professional ambition? Because you seem very fulfilled personally. You seem like a person not uh, not only on a professional level, but on a personal level that has a very aspirational life. The coziness of your home, the warmth of it. I've been to parties over here. I know Amanda. Like It feels like a good life you have. So in some ways, I would imagine it's hard to, if you don't have the native drive for it, it's hard to kid yourself into thinking that other things are more important. I can't, and I never did think that. I waited a long time to get married because I think I would, I I imagined that this would be what I would want and it took a long time to come and and when it did, it did. And it is that for me. It's So this was always kind of the vision of like domesticity and in, in home life. Yeah. Although I, I do really like my pursuits that are pseudo professional pursuits, but it's the creative aspect of them that drives me. Certainly not the money or whatever, like exposure comes from them. Sometimes I guess the money is nice, but the exposure, Exposure on a like micro level sometimes is hard. I don't having people reach out to you with their thoughts of something can be like I just try to disconnect that from the thing because generally they're like depending on the podcast they're ideal listeners, but then there's a podcast or two where you know they're not necessarily there for the reasons I'm there, and (laughs) it can be trying. You know, yeah, I sense like I don't know because you did start it from just like in a cabin with Jeremy with no thought of (laughs) X amount of people listening. I don't know what your relationship with an audience is like. It might be ambivalent, not negative, but like nice or Yeah. That's a good question. Well, like a live audience is certainly not ambivalent. I really love when we're performing superego, the audiences are God, they're the best. And depending on the podcast, they're the best, but I don't even know how to describe it. I don't even know what I think of it. Mm-hmm. I think that's what I'm struggling with lately is having found such solace at home, the career side of things are meaning less and less to me. If the creative sides aren't, they still mean a lot to me, mm-hmm. but the career aspects of them are making me uncomfortable sometimes, or they give me anxiety. Yeah. It's yeah. like, you're not a tortured artist when it comes to the actual thing but the only anxiety that comes up is when it does, okay, well, what's the six month plan and how are we monetizing this? And exactly. what are we and doing two years down yeah. the road? That stuff is the stuff that kind of gives you a headache. And that comes from like, I believe me, I understand how fortunate and lucky and I still r- grapple with that myself. Like going, God, I don't even know how to talk about it. it um, I think all of it makes me a little uncomfortable. The fact that, I get to do some of this stuff makes me slightly uncomfortable because it does at times feel uh, silly. You know, I don't, I don't, 
I mean, to a yeah. degree, right? It because really is. It's yeah. for people's leisure and pleasure, and you're making things that are a comfort to people on commutes and on long drives and plane rides. I can't rides believe and... people are interested in it half the time. Yeah, but you're interested in it. I Jeremy sure was am. interested in it. I, and I'm sure interested in other people's shit like this, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah? Like, big time. Like, I love podcasts, and yeah. I've had one-way friendships with people that don't know who I am. Mm -hmm. So I understand it. It just feels weird. And it's never the people making it feel weird. I think it's something in me that feels weird about it. In 2018, Matt took what might be his highest profile job yet as a producer on Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend. The show is a familiar format with Conan interviewing famous funny friends, but what elevates the show is the on-mic presence of Matt as well as Conan's assistant, Sona Monsessian. I want to talk about Conan because I feel like that is one area in which you are the most yourself in some ways. Interesting. Because there is no... And you're playing a part and there's like a role you do on the show. Yeah. But you are sort of challenged without another subject to glom onto. Yeah. Other than the subject being whatever interplay does exist between you and Conan and Sona. Abuse? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's abject workplace unprofessionalism. Yeah. So I want to play a clip from the first episode of Conan. And then I want to play right after that a clip from a much later episode of Conan, one with Michelle Obama. And this is from one of the wraparound segments where the three of you end right. up talking a lot. Okay. And of course, Matt Gorley, uh, who's a podcast extraordinarian and expert. Oh, hi. You are. You're very good <laughs> at this podcast stuff. And so are you. And I thank you. I don't know anything about it. I am just babbling, which I've done uh, since I was born. But you have the mad skills to make sense of all of this. And I appreciate you being here. The three of us together, we're going to get our way through this. And then the next clip. Oh, I, <laughs> I forgot to mention our uh, producer, uh, the younger, irritating brother I never had. <laughs> Matt Gorley. Matt, you are a, a solution that stings and burns, but it's for the good. Oh, you heal I don't even know what to say to this. You, I'm, like, I'm saying it's good that you are a, you get the wound clean, uh, the scab goes away, but it hurts. <laughs> When am I allowed to just say, fuck you? Wait, what, why? Fuck you. You're saving people's lives. You're preventing disease. Why do you think, why do you think that that's an insult? You are oh a life-saving solvent. What's wrong with that? Uh, the only comfort I take is that maybe late at night in that office by yourself, you're giving it to yourself a little harder. That sounds dirty. <laughs> I know well, it does. Yeah. I gave it to myself really hard last night. What a narrative. I know. And that's, that's the arc my life has taken over the past year. I mean, it was just, I was never brought on to be on mic. I was hired as the producer and it just, I guess, happened somewhat organically. I don't even know myself necessarily, <laughs> but I, I mean, I'm still learning the ropes on that show, not as a producer, but as a tangential figure f from Conan, you know, like when it's just, it's navigating a minefield sometimes, you know, he's... And as a foil too, because... Yeah. This is a conversation we had a while back where it's like the kind of, I don't know if it was a fork in the road for you, but there was a choice of like all these shows up to this point were fully in your control and authorship in conjunction and partnership with other people. Yeah. And this is more of a support role uh -huh. and then what that means and the kind of like lack of ego in some ways and humility that it takes to be in a role like this. 
And then kind of like the narrative when you zoom out from it, where it's like, you started doing this stuff in 2006, like 14 years ago, like a full 15 years before Conan had probably heard of a podcast, (laughs) right? And now this is like what the landscape has changed into, especially the last few years when you have people like Conan or Dax Shepard or more people that are recognizable celebrities, not uh, just within LA, New York or comedy circles, but just in the greater world doing shows like this. So, but you've been here the whole time. You've seen it through it all. How does it make you feel? I I don't have a big problem with that because I, I don't really feel an ownership just because I was there early. It, it just felt inevitable to me that this would happen. And it might as well happen with someone like Conan who's got the goods and the talent to do it. And it's happening with people who don't. That's for sure too. <laughs> yep. But that's the way it was in the beginning too. It was still, it's like everything in the life. I think 90% of it is absolute horseshit. And you just got to kind of grab the 10% that's good and mm-hmm. celebrate it and try to forget the rest, I think. And so there's an element of that to this, to the podcasting world these days. And just because he's late, and I know there's been some flack about like, oh, the late comer comes and is now, you know, the big podcast, but he's good. You know, he's, and yeah. he certainly proved his chops before on a little something called his TV show. Yeah. So I, I get that, but it is interesting to go in. I had no problem being in a support role. I was actually flattered and excited. The roles comedically we've developed has been taken some learning curve because I don't come from a humor background that's based on insults, you know? So I've yeah, had You're to, not a club comic, Matt I'm not, Carly. You're I'm, like, a, you were the goofy, silly guy. It was absurdity. It was improvisational. It wasn't roasts. Yeah. And I am was thrown and can still be thrown by that. I guess I have tried to do it. I not. It's not my comfort zone. I'm not even sure I like doing it but sometimes it's fun and then sometimes it's exhausting because he when he's ready to fire you it doesn't matter if you're ready or not you Mm -hmm. just have to you have to be there for it and so it's been a lesson in um adaptability adaptability is a good way to put it yeah so i don't take it personally i understand like in a way i mean he he said as much that it means like you're close sibling wise because he does it to Sona and stuff too. I'm not sure what's true or what's not. I can't even tell what's real and what's not real. I do sometimes worry I'm just going to be that one note thing. And that doesn't interest me. But the rapport sometimes interests me. It's really fun sometimes. And sometimes I'm thrown by it, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, speaking candidly, and this is nothing I wouldn't say to him in the moment. That's the nice thing about our relationship is that I, I feel like I can speak my mind and he goes with it. If anything, he uses it against me right back at me, which is fun too. But there's never a time where I don't feel like I can say what I don't want to say. Sometimes it's not effective, but sometimes it's fun, you know? Yeah. But this is like a whole new set of muscles that you're training now. Yeah. And I have none of those. (laughs) Well, you do now though, because it's like, there's like power dynamics and there's people in the room that, I mean, you, Michelle Obama probably would not have done super ego back in the day. I don't imagine. No. So that's like a different, these are like different situations and scenarios that you have yeah. to be in now. And I feel like that's just so interesting at this point of your life and at this point in, in your career to like- To serve. go, it's almost backwards. Well, yeah, but yeah. it's cool. Like, and I think it speaks to something to do it now to veer towards things that might create discomfort or might create more question. Cause it would just, it'd be pretty easy to say no to something like that and just- keep doing the shows you're doing and making your own thing. I almost did. I think because 
when Team Coco partnered with Earwolf to make this because of my consultant job, I was brought in to do some consulting on it. I don't have any real hard evidence on this, but I've, I've gathered this from conversations I've had with people that it was revealed to me in stages. I think maybe that the plan was to put me there originally, but they, I'm always hesitant to just start a new journey for whatever reason. I don't know if it's fear or whatever. And I think people that know me in any way probably know that. And so they probably knew they couldn't come to me and go, do you want this job? Mm-hmm. I would have probably panicked and said, no. they had to slowly dip you in the water. <laughs> and that's what happened. And also I had to meet Conan and like, he had to like me. Mm-hmm. And I don't even remember our meeting being consequential in any way. I don't even think I knew I was really there for that reason. <laughs> so it was kind of like, I wasn't fully being told. And by the time I had agreed to just kind of help the first episode, it was sort of cast. The die yeah. was cast. And then it wasn't long before things were happening on mic, but even being behind the mic in just that role was new for me. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. You got thrown into a sort of like non-consensual chemistry test, which led to a different and now thing. I'm in a non-consensual abuse, comedic, <laughs> comedic abuse relationship. Yeah. What do you think it is? Because I feel like the people I talk to in myself personally, I do have this anxiety about what I would dramatically describe as like a list colonization on Apple podcast charts. Yeah. Do you think it's a lot of fuss over nothing? Yeah. Personally, I do. I understand it. Believe Mm -hmm. me, but there's literally nothing you can do about it. Other than like be famous or get on a Netflix show tomorrow, which is out of my control. But then you'll catch hell for the same reasons. Sure. Um, And it doesn't affect your work. It shouldn't like you should still, you know, I think there's a reason certain A-list celebrities have sustained podcasts because they are at least doing their best thing, whether that's Conan or Dax Shepard, or even I'm not a listener, but Joe Rogan, like he is undeniably Joe Rogan. Right. And so there's a demographic that wants and needs that. And so if you're doing your thing, your demographic in some, to some extent will find you. And I not only have realized, but have actually been pretty reconciled and happy with the fact that my demographic is a small, but very specific (laughs) demographic. And I love it so much. That's what you want though, right? It is. And because I don't think I'm capable of handling much more. And we've been talking about this on Pistol Shrimps radio lately, that I think that's the podcast audience I want to grow old with and retire with and do a podcast in my retirement. And we all stay together as listeners and podcasters, because if they're there for that show, which I think of all my shows is the most hard one to get into because it's just pure absurdity at this point. If you came into it now, you wouldn't know what the hell we're talking about. Um, But the people that are there are there because for some reason they have that missing part of their brain that I have that this stuff uh, speaks to them. And I think that's like, you find kind of like finding your partner or whatever. Like I feel like I've found and super ego and that has a big crossover and those are my people and I'm their people, you know, and, and, so it is like getting back to Conan. I'm in a podcast where the audience isn't necessarily my people. I think we both all appreciate Conan, but they're there for him, obviously. And I couldn't bring my pistol shrimp stuff to that table. It would, I think, mostly not be understood. And I don't mean that because it's elevated. I think it's just way different. It's a different genre almost. Completely, yeah. yeah. And so I've had to learn how to walk within those boundaries and I've not always succeeded, <laughs> but then sometimes I'm pushed into them too. I mean, it's a, it's a comedically contentious relationship. Yeah. You know? 
you sound content to work, but what I want to interrogate for a second is that you also sound like a person who would be content if the podcast industry collapsed tomorrow and you were like making tables in your garage. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? In fact, I think there there's part of me that would even welcome that because then I would be forced to not do podcasts. Though I really do enjoy podcasts, but sometimes I do like decisions to happen for me, which is not like, I'm not a passive person. I actually am usually very proactive on those things, but you know, everybody occasionally wants a decision made for them, but that's crazy to say. I'm not even trying to make that decision, but if they did go away, yeah, I would make tables Mm -hmm. and watch 70s spy movies. (laughs) Well, you have your backup plan now. It may be what I'm doing today. (laughs) (laughs) That's not bad. Matt Gorling, I think your voice is very good. Yours too, Kevin. I think it's not muddy. I think it's a nice blend. And you're a gentle man. You're a gentleman, but you're also a gentle man. I don't have an ending for this podcast. I usually just say, I like your voice, and then we wrap it up. Oh, well, I like your voice. Thanks, buddy. Hey, you I'm glad. It. Hey, I'm glad we're Pasadena podcast pals. I am too, and I'm glad we don't affect our voices in any way. It's very authentic, the thing uh, that we're doing together, uh, the moment we're creating. Thanks for coming over today. Hey, thanks for having me. Come over to my place anytime. I'm going to move my voice into a register, which mics will not pick up now. Here I go. I'm going to do the same thing. Okay, great. Matt Gorley has a muddy voice, and you can listen to that muddy voice on Super Ego or Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend or one of his many other shows wherever you find podcasts. Once again, I won't pretend to know where you listen to podcasts because I don't know you in real life. Inside Voices is produced by Steve Allman, and our theme music is by Pam Autori. Next week on the show, you will hear this voice. Vocal fry is a double standard. And I would say my voice is uh, one where I get all the benefits of being a man and, and I don't have to uh, suffer the negative repercussions that women do. I've been your host, Kevin T. Porter. Thanks for spending time with us today on Inside Voices. That was a HeadGum Podcast.